As you're seated, if you take your Bibles, if you have them, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. If you don't have Bibles, they're in the seats below you or they're going to be on the screens in front of you. But we're in the middle of our series called Transform uh, as we look at how the power of the Holy Spirit by God transforms us into his image to reflect him in everything we say and everything we do. If you were here last week, uh, Pastor Chris did a great job of unpacking Romans chapter 13. And he stated in his message uh, about two different groups of people that were brought together, the Jews and the Gentiles. And uh, the Jews had grown up uh, obeying the Old Testament laws, things like ritual cleanliness and morality. They lived their lives that were set apart. And these sorts of things were very important to them. And then we had the Gentiles who came to faith in Jesus Christ. However, they didn't have any of that upbringing. And if you know anything about them, any of the pagan religions uh, at this time, the morals were just a little bit loose. Uh, they didn't have many. In fact, uh, they came and they celebrated religious holidays around drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and the like. And I mean, it was a totally different background. And then in this day, when they came together, there was only one church. There was one church. In Rome, it was the church. So you couldn't go down to Calvary Chapel or Eastside or Cross Point or you name it. You couldn't drive five, an extra five to go to another church and be a part of another family. So as the church, they kind of had to figure out some stuff. They kind of had to understand what it was to deal with each other and the differences that they all had. And so the Jewish Christian, it seems, Paul tells them in chapter 13, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be loving. If you were here last week, he talked about this. And Gentiles, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be holy. Jews, you got to understand, these people need your love. Gentiles, you got to understand, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're, you're to live a little bit differently. There's some things in your life that you need to act differently and behave differently because Jesus has changed you, and your life should reflect that. And what I think he begins to tell us as we move into chapter 14 is this. He really wants us to understand how all of this action and our attitudes towards one another in his church, what happens on the inside plays out on the outside. And what I really think Paul's saying here as we start to unpack chapter 14 is if you want people on the outside, people outside the faith, those who don't go to church, if you want them to see who Jesus really is, you all, you church people on the inside, you got to figure some things out. You got to start understanding what it means to be in unity. And so we come to Romans 14, and I want to start by just reading you a statement. And it's a statement that uh, sometimes I think is true of all of us in our relationships with each other. And I think it'll under, help us understand what we're going to talk about today. You might not have thought this way, but I'll say I thought this way. All right, here it is. Wouldn't it be great if everybody would just blank like me? You fill in the blank. Some of you laugh because you've thought this way before. Wouldn't it be great? If everybody would just think like me. Wouldn't it be great if everybody would just drive like me? Fast and aggressive. Tell you all the time, get out of the fast lane, you slow drivers. Wouldn't it be great if everybody just loved country music like me? I don't really like country music. Wouldn't it be great if everybody danced like me? Or wouldn't it be great if you ate like me? Or you voted like me? Or you raised your kids like me? Or you made decisions like me. Wouldn't it be great if you just agreed with me? <laughs> now, we might not live that way, and we know life doesn't work that way. But it doesn't keep us from thinking that way, does it? 
Paul says, hey, throughout Romans, I want you to renew your mind because he understands something. When you start focusing on yourself, and let's be honest, all of us do, and when you start looking this way and not this way, you're not renewing your mind. And he says, there's something about the mind that I want it renewed, and it has to be in relationship with this one called Jesus Christ. And he comes in chapter 14, he goes, so you're going to have some disputes, and you're going to have some disagreements. What are you going to do about it? And we're not very good at handling conflict inside the church. We're just not. Not just this church, but church, general. And so Paul comes and he says, I'm going to help you out. And I want you to take away one thing tonight. If you don't listen to anything else, I'd love for you to write this statement or take a picture down. Dr. Charles Stanley, this was part of his life motto, and I added to it, and I think it applies to us today. Here's what I want us to know, is I believe this, if we will obey and honor God, and leave all the consequences up to him for you and everyone else. I think our calling is to obey and honor God and leave all the consequences up to him for you and for everybody else. Chapter 14. Let's read together verse 1 all the way through verse 12. It's a long section, but let's read together. Hey, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us die for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or your sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So Paul comes along and he says, hey, there are weak Christians and then there are strong Christians. Which kind of helps us understand that the church is not a place for the spiritual elite, right? This place is for everyone. There are those who are weak, those who are strong, those who are seeking, those who are far from God. This place, the church, is to be for everyone. So you might ask the question, well, what does it mean to be a person of weak faith? <laughs> well, there's a number of things. Maybe people are new to their faith. They're baby Christians. They're just trying to figure out their faith. Maybe we Christians are those who have been trapped or caught in some form of religious system. Maybe they've been trapped in legalism and they've never really understood what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe they have never had solid Bible teaching to help them understand God and his word. 
Some, maybe they have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. They've made a decision to say, I believe, but they have not made him Lord of everything in their life. See, he comes and he says there's lots of reasons one might be weak in the faith. But he tells us this in verse 1. What's the first word in verse 1? Accept. Say it with me. Accept. Accept. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. The Greek word for accept is proslambano. And it means this. It means to take others into account or to welcome someone into your heart. He says accept, welcome into your heart those who are weak in the faith. And don't quarrel over disputable matters. And you ask, well, what is disputable matters? Well, that in itself is disputable. (laughs) But I know this, pretty much 98% of what churches split over or have issues over or things that go on in the church have to do with disputable matters. And many times they aren't even disputable. They are just actually preferences that each of us have. I remember when I was first confirmed to be the next senior pastor of this church in 2004. And I remember uh, after the service, the elders had kind of had me go down with Maudie and we were shaking people's hands. There was kind of a greeting line or something to, to congratulate me. And so the second couple that came up, I remember this lady, she, she gave me a hug and she said, congratulations on being the next pastor. I just want to let you know that we're leaving the church. I was like, awesome. This is so great. And then I said, can I ask you why? And she said, yes. And she said, you're not going to preach on sin. And I said, oh, really? I'm not? And she said, no. And I said, you're not even going to give me a chance. And her husband's standing by his head's down. He's not even looking up. And she's like, no, we're not. And she said, but we're leaving. And I said, okay. And she gave me a hug and I said goodbye. And I guess not only was my faith weak, but I guess my preaching was going to be weak as well. So she didn't even know, didn't even have a chance. That's how I started, my second couple. Nice to meet you, glad you're here. Nope, we're out of here, we're leaving. Let me tell you what Paul's not talking about. He's not talking about sin. See, sin is a matter that we have to confront. Sin is a matter that is not a disputable matter. And we'll never shy away about teaching on sin and our need of forgiveness. And God defines sin in the Bible multiple ways, and we talk about it a lot, so you're going to have to take up that with him. But if you want to know more about what Paul was talking about as far as sin goes, look at 1 Corinthians 5, and he gives a great example of what that is. But he's not talking about sin issues here. He's talking about the next level, which is these disputable matters that come into play within the church, and then he unpacks it for their time. Hard for us to believe that meat and vegetables were a problem. But in his culture, meat and vegetables were a problem. Look at verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. We don't understand this. And every time I go to India, I understand that the people in India, they understand this. They have, actually have restaurants that separate between veg and non-veg. Take a look. See, there's Hotel Gracie, veg and non-veg family restaurant. And you go in, many times, there's just like a wall. You go to the left, you get the non-veg, you go here, you get veg. It made no sense to me in the beginning. Now I finally understand it. 
because of the Hindu faith, they don't eat certain meats, and so they just have a completely vegetable restaurant, and then you have the other side. Now, in Paul's culture, this was a really, really big deal, and it's so big, he has to address it. And he says, look at those who refuse to eat meat for spiritual reasons. Perhaps they refused to eat it because they feared the meat was sacrificed to a pagan god. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you want to look that up later. Perhaps they refused to eat the meat because it wasn't kosher. And so they were sticking to the Jewish dietary regulations of the day. Because you see, some Christians, they saw nothing wrong with eating meat. Others saw it as sinful. And this was a burning issue and was dividing people. And Paul comes and says, hey, listen up. Doesn't really matter. They eat meat, they don't eat meat. It isn't relevant to us today. But there's plenty of issues where some believers believe one way and other believers believe differently. And understand this, in Paul's mind, the weaker brother or the weaker sister is actually the stricter one. It wasn't that they were weaker in their Christian life because of what they ate or didn't eat. They were weaker because of their legalistic attitudes and their lack of love towards others. And undoubtedly, these weak ones did not see themselves as weaker. It's likely they thought they were the, actually the strong ones. And the meat eaters, the carnivores, they were the weak ones. Listen, for the weak Christian, Paul was saying, this legalism, it has a way of making us think that we are strong. And those who don't keep the rules as we keep the rules, those people, they're weak. So you meat eaters here today, stop throwing shade at all the vegans. Knock it off. And you vegans, stop judging me. I love meat. I'm going to eat meat. I'm going to keep eating meat. It's great. So here in verse 3, he comes and he says, the one who eats everything, don't treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. In the church, we've gotten this wrong in this day. And I believe it's been an issue. And Paul is addressing what has hurt our witness as the people of God more than anything else, I think. And it's pretty evident for all to see especially in India, not just like the restaurant. But it is going so far the wrong way in the evangelical church that even in death, Christians are divided. Well, what do you think the conversation was around this decision? This is a Christian graveyard. On the left are the untouchables or the low caste or the outcast. On the right, the upper caste. All of them are Christians, but they put a wall of division down the middle. It's a Christian graveyard. But even in death, <laughs> we're divided. You're not good enough to be on my side. <laughs> even just for a tombstone. And still today, that exists. Paul said it this way to 2 Timothy. He says, hey, listen up, everyone. Don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments because they know, you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but you must be kind to everyone and able to teach and not resentful. 
And I don't know how many secondary issues you've been in are stupid arguments or conversations over issues, but it is a thing. And he comes along and he says, hey, church, stop. A bunch of stuff that you're talking about is not even that important. And then he goes to verse 4 back in our text. And he says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. And each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live... We live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord for this very reason. Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And what he's really saying for those five verses is this. Obey and honor God and leave all the consequences up to him for you and everybody else. See, Paul gives a theological description of what it means for us to be in unity. That both the weak and the strong, they're accountable to God. And both should be behaving according to what they believe is God honoring. On secondary matters, our obligation is ultimately to our own conscience. And listen to this, God will honor and judge each of us for doing what is honoring to him, even when someone is wrong on an issue. I heard it said this way by some theologian, and nobody's taking credit for it, but it says this, in the essentials, we have unity. The non-essentials, there's liberty. And in all things, we as the church give charity. The essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty. In all things, there is charity. So Paul's not talking about the essentials here, but I, I want you to understand, what are the essentials? Well, the essentials are on our website. You can go to friends.church. You can look them up. But let me just give you quickly just kind of a, a brief understanding of the essentials are. The essentials are this. It is salvation by grace alone through faith alone. It is the necessity of Jesus Christ for our salvation. What is essential is that we believe in the divinity of Jesus, that he was fully God and he was fully man. We believe in the existence of the Trinity, that there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God in three persons. We believe in the inspiration and the authoritative nature of the Bible. And we believe and understand that there was a crucifixion and Jesus died and there was a body, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ that we're about ready to celebrate. And we believe that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to return for all of us and one day we will be in heaven with him. Those are the essentials and those are what our faith are based upon. There's a few more that are in there. You can go and you can read at friends.church, but that is in essence, those are the essentials. And around that we have unity. And then he comes and says the non-essentials. Hey, everyone, there's liberty. Paul isn't telling these Christians to erase their differences. He's actually telling these Christians, you rise above them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know what happens in a large church? It requires a lot more charity in all things that weren't on that list. In all the non-essentials, that we go through as a large church. 
Because let me just tell you, in, in five campuses, in five different locations, in five different places, with thousands of people, there are a lot of opinions. And there's a lot of things that you like and don't like. And there's a lot of things that you want us to do that we don't do. And there's a lot of things we do that you wish we didn't do. And we all have to come in and say, guess what? We're on the non-essentials. We're going to kind of have some grace here with each other. I've told you when my family of five used to try and go out to dinner and I would ask the wrong question. What do you guys want? The car could never be unified on what we wanted at any given point. You guys know what I'm talking about. And I would just choose In-N-Out Burger because it just didn't matter at the end of the day. Everybody would be happy with a burger. But he comes along and he says, all things, there's charity. And what he's saying is this. He lets us know when he talks about certain days, not just meat and vegetable, that he's talking more about principles than just specific issues. And the principle is this. That in all things, we're going to have charity for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul is willing to leave it up to their conscience. And for them, between God, to decide what is good and what was not good. And then he comes to verse 10 and he goes, hey, you then. Why do you judge? He comes back around, your brother or your sister. Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before him, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. You might want to underline that last. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. I'm not going to give an account for Madi. And she's not going to give an account for me. I think she might some days want to give an account for me. Hey, God, did you know that he kind of did this, this, and this? He, were, were you there? And he comes and he says, listen up, church. You're going to give an account for yourself, nobody else. So why do you judge and treat people with contempt? I remember when I was in college, there was a lot of things about my growing up that were, were really good, and I'm grateful for my Christian heritage, but my, my church was very, very legalistic. I made the basketball team in high school and I had to quit the basketball team because we had church on Wednesday nights and so practice and church couldn't conflict. I made the Valentine's Day court, yes. <laughs> but we didn't dance. So I had to turn it down and say no. And in my little box of how I lived my life, there were some things I believed that honestly weren't scriptural. But it wasn't until I started to renew my mind and figure out that God's word was different than the way I was brought up. No malice in that. Just wasn't true. I actually broke up with a girl I dated for two years because she was a Baptist and I was a Nazarene. And you know what that meant? She was once saved, always saved, which means she could do whatever she wanted. This was my interpretation. She was saved, and I believed I was going to hell every time I did anything wrong. So I was at the altar every single time the altar was open. And I broke up with her because she didn't believe like me. And you know who was wrong? Me. Because it wasn't my salvation to give or to take away. 
It was a free gift of God that was given to me, and it was mine to receive. And once I received the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ and his love, it wasn't going away. I might walk away, but God's love for me was real. And it wasn't based on my performance. It was based on everything he did on the cross. And there was nothing I could do to come closer to Jesus by coming and asking again and again to forgive me because I was scared of hell. And I didn't live in freedom. And Christ comes and he said, I came to redeem you and to free you. And I broke up with a girl because she was once saved, always saved. And I had judgment and contempt over her. And he said, don't do it. See, don't judge people based on where they are today. Some of you would say, no, judge them on where they should be. No, don't judge them at all. This place is a hospital. It's not a country club. It's a place for the broken and the hurt. It's a place for the people who are searching and lost. It's a place who don't have any other place to go. And what they need to experience, as Chris talked last week, is for us to love them. (laughs) And then to show them Jesus And then let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. That's not your job or mine. I remember I was traveling to Australia and uh, my my father-in-law set me up to play golf at this country club. And uh, I, I went to the country club and it was like, you know, 102 degrees in Australia. It was in the middle of summer. And so I wore shorts and a t-shirt and I got a shorts and a collared shirt. And uh, I, I walk up to the counter and they said, uh, hello, Mr. Cork, glad you're joining us today. Um, you need to, if you're going to play at our country club, you need to wear long socks. And they said, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, you have to have knee socks if you're going to wear shorts or you could wear pants. And I'm like, you're kidding. So I had the, the no-show socks, you know, with my little shoes. So I had to go buy some knee socks. Okay, and these skinny legs aren't good to see in shorts and no, you know, no show socks. Now I had these stupid little knee socks up to here and my shorts were here. So I walked out, I looked ridiculous and no, you're not seeing a picture of that. But <laughs> why do I say all that? I have no idea. But you come in here, you, you don't have to conform to what our standard is. Do you need to conform to who Jesus is? And we don't get to sit around and judge one another. At least that's what Paul's telling us. Because the hospital is for everyone. And when I go to the hospital and I visit people, I walk past and I go, thank the Lord they're here because if they weren't here, (laughs) they could die. And I look and I say, man, thank the Lord they're here. Because if they're not here, they're never going to hear that there is a God that loves him and loved them so much that he sent his son Jesus to save them and redeem them, not to stay as they are, but to transform them into his image. So he comes and he says, don't judge, don't hold contempt, and don't force people to go against the conscience in secondary issues. What he really says is this, obey and honor God. Leave all the consequences up to him for you and everyone else. And in this community, um, that's just not going to happen because we're going to change a little bit of our behavior. Because behavior modification doesn't do it. It has to be a heart that's transformed by the power of the Spirit. And it's out of a heart that's transformed that we go, hey God, we actually want to serve you and honor you. And we want to treat our brothers and sisters with your love. That's why our mission statement, many of you know it, it's becoming. First word is becoming. Becoming. 
Say it loud with me, ready, the whole thing. Becoming a community of authentic Christ followers compelled to change our world. Keep that up there for a minute. A community of authentic Christ followers. We're becoming a community of authentic Christ followers, which means we want to reflect Jesus. And we chose that word becoming because all of us are in a different place in our journey. Some of us are new to the faith. Some of us aren't even sure we want to be a part of faith yet. Some of us have been walking with Jesus all our life, but we're still becoming, I pray, more like him each and every day. And an authentic community is to reflect him in who we are and what we do. So how do we get along in this community with the diversity that we have? How do we get along when we don't agree on secondary issues? Three things. It takes love and grace and wisdom. So I'm going to give you some tools to help you walk in grace, to help you walk in love, and to help you walk in wisdom. And these tools just aren't for the church. But I promise you, if you would begin to define some things, you will begin to understand that these work in all of your relationships. There was somebody singing on the radio and I just took down this line that said, I had a dream where I keep getting older, but never wiser. As followers of Jesus, that isn't supposed to be us. We're actually supposed to grow in wisdom and grace and love as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. So I think you need to define some things for not only your relationship with God, but your relationship with your brothers and sisters, your wife, your family, your kids. And Bart, our executive pastor, we were in our teaching meeting, and we got a bunch of people um, that are there, and we just started talking about this. And and these three are kind of things that he uses, and and I just thought they were great, so I'm going to share them with you. There's three hills, and you have to decide what's going to be your hill to die on. What's going to be your hill to die on? Those would be the essentials of our faith that I read. In the essentials of our faith, there's all things unity. Let me just tell you something. If I wouldn't preach on sin, and we wouldn't open God's word, and we wouldn't do what God told us to do from here, you should run from here. You should be like the lady that came up and said, hey, I'm leaving. But I've realized that in my life, my hill to die on gets smaller as I get older. It doesn't get bigger. There's a lot more things that are secondary issues to me now than there were 15 years ago. Same thing in my marriage, same thing in other relationships. There's just some things that it's not going to be a hill I'm going to die on. And in this church, we're not going to die on a lot of hills. The second one is this. It is the hill to debate on. And we're not good at this in our world right now at all. In fact, we're pathetic. But here's what we need to do in the church. And This is part of being in a community. We can agree to disagree. Can't we? I mean, Marty and I do it all the time. And we're 28, 29 years into this thing. We're doing pretty good. We can agree to disagree. And here's what you need to understand. I won't be offended and hold you in contempt if you don't agree with me. And you won't judge me when I disagree with you. You see it differently, and I accept that view and respectfully disagree with you. There's a ton of issues. My wife and I, we have an an issue with trash cans, and we have just respectfully learned to disagree with each other. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, but our trash day is Wednesday, 
And as soon as those trash cans is empty, one of us wants all of those trash cans put away. The other one comes home and doesn't even see the trash cans. But if those trash cans are out on Thursday morning, one of us is pretty upset that the trash cans are still out because we are not being a good neighbor. And if they are up by Thursday afternoon, one of us is going to hear about it. And we've just agreed to disagree that we view trash cans way differently. What are your secondary issues in your life? What are the secondary issues that are in church today? What are the crazy things that churches have divided over? Churches are divided over the color of the carpet. That's not a joke. Pews versus chairs. Music. Ooh, that was big when I became the music pastor here. Man, that divides some churches. Choirs, no choirs, drums, Bible translations. People got issue if you preach out of the wrong Bible. Clothing, hats, tattoos. Ooh. One of our worship leaders here, Aaron Blanton, when he first came here, great guy, great worship leader. Great man. He came and, and he was all tatted up. And uh, I just said, hey, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I literally said this. For the first two years, I want you to wear long sleeves. He was 25 years old. And he looked at me and he just goes, why? I said, because I want them to fall in love with you. And I don't want anything to be a distraction. And in two years, when you take that long sleeve shirt off and you have tattoos, they won't care. And he said, okay. In two years, he took the shirt off. Nobody cared. Now, you might not think it's a big deal. I'm the one that gets the emails. You don't. I was protecting him from you. <laughs> it's a secondary issue. I don't think it's a hill you're going to die on. I can tell you this much. My kids, they know if they got a tattoo... Money stopped. It was done. <laughs> College, they were paying on their own. It was all on them. They can do whatever they want once they're out of my house. But guess what? Didn't happen for me. But secondary issue. We can agree to disagree on that. And do we are going to do some things here you don't like. I've told you this before. We do things I don't like. But I believe it's the best way for us to fulfill our mission and vision and care for the next generation. And when you don't like something, that does not mean you have to leave this community. Or go find another one. Unless we start messing with the things that are the hill to die on. Think of it this way. If you leave over secondary issues, you might just be shortchanging your spiritual growth. Because there's going to be tension here when you live with a large family. And you have to understand that's part of the journey and how you unpack your Christian faith. The fruit of a life with Jesus is that we are actually becoming transformed into his image. And a greater reflection of how we are growing in his image is how we handle secondary issues. Remember in Romans chapter 12, he said it this way, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. I'm going to give you two lists. They're going to go on the screen. You want to take a picture of it. But they're going to build. Here's what it means to, be con to conform into the image of the world. Conform means this. It's more about me. But if you're going to be transformed by the renewing your mind, it's more about others. Conform means it's more about imposing. And transform means it's more about deferring. 
When you conform to the world and what it's doing, it means you're having to be right. And when you be transformed by the, the mind of Christ, you understand that you would rather get it right. When we conform to the world, it's this. We, we would rather be served and transformed. We decided we're actually just going to serve. When we conform to the world, we look to quarrel. But when we are transformed, we choose to pursue harmony. The world it judges others. If we're being transformed by the mind of Christ, it says, guess what? We don't get to judge others. And when we conform to the world, we don't trust others. But when we're being transformed in this community, we build trust with others. See, the person who's being transformed will ask the question, what does love require of me? Hill to die on, hill to debate on, and then a hill to discuss on. Those are preferences. And we all got them. It's just are willing sometimes to die to them for the better of the community. Verse 11 and 12 as I close. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So let me just end with what I started. Wouldn't it be great if everybody would just like me? Yeah, I don't think it would be. I think if everything, everyone did everything like me, it'd be really sad. But I do think it would be great if we could define our hill in all of our relationships that we're willing to die on and live and love in everything show you that picture again, the graveyard. And we think in, it's so super sad that in death they would choose to do that. You know what? That's a picture of life in the church. They're telling me that I'm done. Lights go off. It's like, you're done. Get to go. That's a picture of the church. Do you know there's 35,000 denominations? That's on the low end. I'm conservative. Google has it at 48, I think, right now. 35,000. What that meant is we can't figure out how to love Jesus in a community together. I think it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. I believe in that. But 35,000, come on. Friends, this church, we just aren't majoring in the minors here. Not going to happen. Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to obey and honor God, leave all the consequences up to him. I'm going to do it for you, for everybody else. And I think that when we start to live that way and honor God, man, people won't be able to stay away from here. Would you stand with me? We're going to close and sing this song. And we're going to take communion together. And so as you prepare your hearts, I would love for you to have your elements ready. But I'd love for you first just to bow your heads. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and your grace. Thank you for um, really this great place called Friends. That over 110 years, we, we have, gosh, man, we've made some mistakes. And we'll make some more. 
But I thank you, God, for your grace and your love. I thank you for the most part on secondary issues. These people have just been phenomenal. So I pray tonight they leave encouraged. I pray they leave challenged. God, I pray for all of us that in any relationship that maybe it's time for us to define some things. And for us, may we reflect your love. May we not just do that, but may we be called to holiness, to live as you have called us to live. And out of the overflow of that love, God, tonight I pray you would know that there's a church called Friends that loves you, wants to obey you, and we just give everything over to you. And I thank you. So I ask as we close this service and we partake as your family of this bread and this juice, that God, we would remember your grace and your love for every single one of us. It's in your holy and powerful name we pray. Amen.